Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with the head of Experience Columbus, which holds the responsibility of selling, marketing, and promoting Greater Columbus, something all cities are struggling with now due to the pandemic. Governor Mike DeWine ordered that all Ohioans wear masks when indoors in public places, as well as when outside in areas where social distancing cannot be maintained. In about 20 minutes, we'll present comments from the governor explaining who's exempt. We'll also present the governor's thoughts on the arrest of Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder and the future of the very controversial legislation that's associated with the alleged bribery scandal leading to Householder's arrest. In the second half hour, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend has segments about the security of voting by mail, as well as additional material about the pandemic and police reform efforts in Columbus. And I'll wrap up the hour with somebody from AARP talking about older working Americans and how they're faring as the coronavirus outbreak continues. First up on Columbus Perspective on the phone with me, Brian Ross, who is the president and CEO of Experience Columbus. How are you? Hi, Dave. I'm doing great. Thank you. Thanks for talking to us. You know, the last time I talked to you was in studio and it was last year and Columbus was just on a real roll when it came to the convention business. Yes, uh, I believe we spoke to you right uh, before the American Society of Association executives came to town, and uh, uh, you're right. Um, Columbus has uh, really been very successful over the past number of years in growing the travel economy. Um, And uh, actually, we just received our 2019 economic impact numbers, and uh, we actually welcome and uh, 43 million visitors in 2019 who spent $7.6 billion in our community and supported uh, 78,600 jobs. So you can uh, see the importance of the economy in in, uh, 2019. Yeah, that's tremendous. And it seems like I know I've talked to folks with the Columbus Foundation and there was kind of a general feeling that we're kind of moving up into that tier of the cool new cities, you know, like Austin and, you know, instead of the old standbys like Chicago and those. Yeah, we have uh, definitely made a name for ourselves uh, in the, uh, um, particularly in the travel uh, economy and and whether you're uh, looking at leisure travelers or meetings and conventions or sporting events, uh, our community as a whole has done a wonderful job of really getting out and talking about our community and uh, providing uh, in that uh, marketing and and social media, but uh, really being able to articulate the uh, overall, um, you know, the the culture of our community. And truly that culture is what sets us apart. And, uh, you know, a lot of those same successes have come through uh, the Columbus Partnership, uh, you know, One Columbus. Uh, Mayor uh, Ginther has been a uh, wonderful spokesman for the uh, um, travel economy. So it has uh, really been hitting on all cylinders. And uh, unfortunately, as all of that momentum was uh, building, just like uh, every other city across the country now, March came and everything kind of came to a standstill. And it kind of hit Columbus early with the Arnold uh, being one of the first major events in the nation making news with a cancellation. Yes, Dave, and and, uh, you are 100% right. Uh, You know, we had that uh, 
a tremendous year in 19, and, and this is one of those years that uh, we'll all uh, want to forget uh, for, from a uh, uh, travel and, and uh, you know a travel economy standpoint. But uh, we were one of the first cities to, to really feel the effects of the COVID-19 um, you know impact. Uh, we were actually getting ready to celebrate 2019 at Experience Columbus's annual meeting, and that was. Uh, two days before uh, we were uh, getting information that uh, the Arnold uh, Sports Classic was going to have to be uh, drastically reduced. And uh, we know how important that particular event is to our community. Uh, it's uh, the largest weekend event we have um, in, in Columbus. So for that to have uh, such a uh, um, you know, negative impact on what they could bring our community that was sort of the uh you know the the first uh, uh brick to, to fall and then after that um you know we continued to find out more and more about the uh the impact and the uh, severity uh, of uh, COVID-19. Do you have a sense of of how many conventions or hotel usage that that type of thing how much it's down this year? We do and uh it, I may use the word devastating quite a bit because uh, I, I can't uh, express uh, how, how tough it's been. Um, we've actually, just in groups that uh, Experience Columbus and the Greater Columbus Sports Commission work with, uh, we've lost over 160 events so far this year. Wow. Um, that would have brought over $200 million in visitors spent to our community. So um, that has been, uh, you know, a major uh, loss for our community. And then that goes without saying, uh, particularly with the uh, shelter-in-place order, uh, the closure of the restaurants. Um, you know, a lot of our great attractions uh, had to close down. I mean, we had the number one, we have the number one science center uh, in the nation in COSI, and uh, they had to uh, uh, close their doors and still have not opened up. We've had venues that have had to close. And even when those uh, particular restaurants and different venues are opening, um, you know, they've had tremendous reductions to the amount of uh, people that they can come in, have come into their uh, establishments. And, and so that's been a big uh, uh, challenge from uh, a business standpoint in, in trying to, uh, you know, keep their head above, above water. And our hotels, I mean, at one point in time, our hotels were running single digit occupancy uh, right now they're probably uh, in the mid 25 uh, uh, you know 25 percent occupancy so it has truly been uh, very very difficult talking with Brian Ross he's the president and CEO of experience Columbus I guess one of the the real bad things about this too is that there's no end game to this we nobody knows uh, when things are going to begin to ease up substantially the uncertainty has been the biggest challenge, um, and that's something that uh, no matter what uh, type of business or even day-to-day -day life uh, we all know, uh, keeps us on edge. Um, that's one of the things that we've really focused on is uh, trying to um, communicate with our, uh, our residents uh, here in Columbus and Franklin County um, about uh, what is open, what, uh, how do you engage 
with retail, maybe uh, virtually or online, or, you know, we had during this time period, a lot of our partners and um, different organizations became very innovative in how uh, they could change their business model to still uh, try to create some type of revenue and uh, as importantly um, keep uh, jobs. So we've been working with people through our Live Forward campaign and uh, basically what that is is uh, we've been able to uh, engage local residents and um, bring them uh, to a, a digital or virtual interaction whether it's with the short north whether it's with uh, uh, Cameron Mitchell, whether it's uh, with um, the uh, Franklin Park Conservatory. And now that places are starting to open, we're actually helping, uh, um, you know, uh, provide uh, uh, guidance on how to responsibly and safely interact and go and, and visit those tremendous assets we have. Is there any way to track whether there's been more interest in Columbus from other areas of Ohio than what you might normally see because folks aren't going to the Carolinas or Florida this year? That's a great question, Dave, and, and uh, all the data that we have, and uh, whether it's uh, uh, local, regional, or national uh, surveys, there is a tremendous amount of pent-up demand. People want to travel. Uh, however, people are not comfortable um, with a lot of destinations and uh, how the different, uh, uh, you know, health and safety practices are. So we've actually worked with, uh, you know, the, the CDC, um, the uh, state of Ohio, and uh, the city of Columbus, as well as with a lot of our partners, and we've come up with a Live Forward pledge. And this is a pledge that over 150 businesses uh, have committed to. And it's very simple. It's uh, FWD. And it basically stands for uh, follow the uh, current orders in place uh, through the CDC, local, and state government. Uh, wear your protective gear and face coverings as required. And D is for the distance. Make sure that you are uh, keeping your social distance distancing. So we want to make sure people understand that, uh, that first and foremost, uh, their safety and health is our priority. Talking with Brian Ross, he's the president and CEO of Experience Columbus. When things begin to open up, how do you restart uh, promoting the city or bringing in conventions that canceled before? How do you lure them back? to be very complicated, quite honestly, because of uh, the uncertainty. But what I can share with you, uh, as we were speaking about a few minutes ago, our first path to recovery is uh, through what we call the leisure traveler. And um, we know that uh, there are, um, you know, of the people willing to travel, 69% will travel in a car. And also 69% will travel uh, within a 100 to 200 mile radius of their uh, their home. So in the past, 
uh, Columbus has been very fortunate that uh, there is one particular type of travel that all of us agree is pretty much the first type of travel we're going to do, and that's going to be to go and see our families or our friends. And uh, in 2019, we welcomed over 20 million visitors who did one of those two things in Columbus. So the demand is there. It's just a matter of, um, you know, making sure that uh, um, we do it responsibly and we do it when those travelers are ready to travel. Um, So we have to be very thoughtful in how we're reaching out to them. And we are currently reaching out. It's just not a uh, a hard sell and and general uh, uh, marketing and, and sales. We're trying to be very uh, uh, specific in nature and again thoughtful and responsible in how we're communicating let's say by next summer things are beginning to return to levels that we were before what is the 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 hotel industry in columbus the survivability through all this Uh, will columbus still have as many beds available for major conventions in in a year or two from now as as they did before this hit all indications that uh, we will. Um, We do have hotels that are closed currently, and it's just uh, because at, uh, you know, single digit and, uh, you know, 20, 25, 30% occupancy, uh, business models uh, are not meant to uh, accommodate that uh, um, low level of uh, business. So as we see the the visitor come back, uh, both from a leisure standpoint, from a sporting standpoint, and again, from a uh, um, conventions and, and trade shows standpoint, you will see hotels start to open up. Talking with Brian Ross, he's the uh, president and CEO of Experience Columbus. Obviously, you know, this is a tax issue as well because of uh, taxes that are collected by hotels, a bed tax that helps fund this type of thing. What kind of an impact is that having? having a, uh, a large impact. Um, you know, we, we uh, were able to uh, collect over $50 million in bed tax uh, for the city of Columbus last year. And those bed tax dollars are very important because uh, they go to fund uh, not only the sale, uh, sales and marketing arm of Experience Columbus and the Greater Columbus Sports Commission, but they also go to fund uh, the Greater Columbus Arts Council. Uh, those taxes fund uh, human services, over 30 different human services. Uh, and then also the Columbus Housing Trust, as well as the Franklin County uh, Convention Facilities Authority. So uh, those uh, dollars are very important. And we know this year, just from our standpoint, uh, we're forecasting to only uh, receive about 50% of that uh, funding looking at 2020. So uh, we've had to really make uh, tough decisions like much of the other uh, uh, community members on how best to utilize those dollars and um, you know, do what's best for the community as well as our um, funders. So it's, it's been a challenge, and uh, what I can say, though, is we've been able to use a lot more of our digital marketing and different platforms from that standpoint with virtual interaction uh, that is paying off uh, quite nicely. That was uh, the next thing I was going to ask, was uh, what lessons have been learned or uh, uh, new methods, advantages, uh, things that maybe 
hadn't been thought of to take out of the box yet that you're utilizing that you can use going forward? Yeah, so we have really uh, made a switch. Uh, in the past, it was uh, somewhat taboo for a destination marketing organization, such as Experience Columbus, to uh, spend money and market and advertise locally. Uh, our job is to bring revenue into the community. And so most of our uh, um, you know, revenue and resources were utilized outside of the city. Um, however, uh, over the years, and we've been able to really focus on this this year, is that um, we know we need the residents to be uh, tremendous advocates of our community and the different uh, venues that we have here, the different attractions, the great culinary uh, arts and culture that we have uh, to help amplify that message. So this is giving us an opportunity uh, to uh, contact and, and speak to our residents uh, more than we ever have. And we see that uh, there is a, a great um a positive in that and uh, they are really interacting and engaging with our organization so I can share that we will do much more of that as we move forward uh, Brian anything else you'd like to add no I would just like to say thank you and, and uh, we appreciate you having us on um, you know our community is very resilient and it's uh, uh, difficult times right now but I know that we will rally and uh, come out of this even stronger uh, with a very very um, collaborative uh, um, direction in how we continue to grow the travel economy so uh, look forward to, to working with you and, and everyone else the way the city had been progressing in these areas this uh, tourism and conventions and things like that takes a lot of skill for people to be able to do that and with that in place it has to make you feel good about uh, moving forward uh, rebounding from all this it does uh, we have a great team uh, we have a great community um, we have uh, you know the, the city has been wonderful the county has been wonderful um, our corporate partners and civic partners have been wonderful everybody takes pride in this great uh, city that we have and uh, as I've talked to you before the one thing that came out loud and clear when we hosted the American Society of Association executives last year was the culture of our community. Everybody was welcoming. Uh, everybody was authentic. Um, they saw how um, inclusive our uh, community was. So, um, you know, we just have to be ourselves and continue to, to work hard and support each other. And as I said, we will come out of this uh, in, in a, a very positive manner. Brian Ross, President and CEO of Experience Columbus. Thanks so much for your time today. Sure appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Thank you. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and thanks for listening. This is my new best friend, Esther. She might look like any normal, playful puppy, but Esther's being raised to become a canine companions for independence assistance dog for a person with a disability. To get there, she needs lots of love and care and attention. 
plenty of exercise, and good eating habits so that she can live a long and healthy life for her future family. And she needs to spend tons of time socializing, learning basic commands like sit and stay, and taken to fun places with lots of distractions so that she can learn to cope in every situation. All of this will prepare Esther for more professional training to become a real assistance dog and a life helping a person with a disability to live more independently. Are you ready to open your heart and home for 18 months to a puppy like Esther? To find out more about becoming a canine companion for Independence Puppy Raiser or about other volunteer opportunities, visit cci.org or call 1-800-572-BARK. Raise a puppy, change a life. You can make a world of difference in the life of a person with a disability. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Ohio has had about 3,300 confirmed and probable deaths from the coronavirus and more than 81,000 cases of COVID-19. As expected this week, Governor Mike DeWine ordered all Ohioans to wear a mask when indoors in public or outdoors in areas where they cannot socially distance. Here's about three minutes of Governor Mike DeWine explaining the order. In all counties in Ohio, uh, individuals who are out in public must wear facial coverings when you are in an indoor location that's not a residence or outdoors uh, but are unable to maintain six-foot social distance from people who are not members of your household. And also for waiting uh, for a ride, driving or operating public transportation such as a taxi, a car service, or private car used for ride sharing. In all those cases, again, the order is the same as it's been in the past. We now are just extending it to more counties. Um, I also want to emphasize uh, as we see more and more people uh, wear masks, and there may be some people who do not wear masks, uh, I want to emphasize that if someone has a medical reason for not wearing a mask, uh, they do not have to wear a mask. Uh, and I would also uh, urge all my fellow citizens to not be judgmental. Uh, if someone is in a store and they do not have a mask now, uh, we should assume that they have some medical problem. Uh, we should assume that there is some very legitimate reason where they while they cannot wear a mask. I would again, again emphasize this mask order is only for those 10 years of age and older. Um, and again, I will emphasize what the medical experts tell us, that masks are not to be worn by infants. Um, you know, one uh, indicator was certainly not uh, under two. Um, you know, someone who is young certainly does not have to wear a mask, and certainly someone uh, who is very young should not have a mask on at all. And again, uh, you you can look up that guidance, but we are not requiring anybody uh, to, to do that. Uh, again, uh, the following do not need to wear a mask. Let me just read it. Those who have a medical condition or disability or those who are trying to communicate with someone who has a disability. Uh, second, those who are actively exercising or playing sports. Uh, three, those who officiate at religious services, and this includes uh, anyone who's speaking at a religious service uh, where a mask would in, in, impede what they're trying to do. Uh, those who are actively involved uh, in public safety do not have to wear a mask, or those who are actively eating, actively eating or drinking. Um, just in conclusion, we've got to get this virus under control. Uh, wearing masks is going to make a difference. Uh, it will make a difference in what our fall looks like, what we do between now 
and the next several weeks will determine what our fall is like. We all want kids to go back to school. We want to see sports. We want to see a lot of different things. We want to, uh, you know, have m more opportunities in the fall. And to do that, uh, it's just very important that all Ohioans uh, wear a mask. This week, Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder was arrested, accused of being involved in a bribery scheme that's associated with House Bill 6. You may recall last year, the state legislature approved and Governor Mike DeWine signed House Bill 6. It adds 85 cents to most residential electric bills in the state, with that money over many years funding Ohio's financially troubled nuclear power plants. The Davis-Bessey plant, which is in Oak Harbor, east of Toledo, and the Perry nuclear power plant, which is northeast of Cleveland. Four other people were also charged with Householder, and it has resulted in a move now at the State House to repeal House Bill 6 and start anew. Initially, Governor Mike DeWine did not favor repealing the legislation, saying he supported it as it is. He did change his mind, though, and here's the governor explaining his position, as well as talking about the situation with the Ohio House and the speaker being charged. This runs about four and a half minutes with Governor Mike DeWine. Since Speaker Householder's arrest uh, several days ago, um, like all Ohioans and certainly members of the legislature, um, I've been thinking a lot about this and frankly kind of struggling to process um, everything. So I want to share some additional thoughts before we get started here this afternoon. To my friends in the Ohio House, um, it's very, very important, I believe, for you to um, be very engaged at this point in thinking about who the next speaker should be. Uh, obviously, for a speaker to be elected, they have to have a majority uh, of the votes. And I know that uh, this is a process. So I would urge uh, the members of the legislature to do what I know they're already doing, and that is to think about this, start talking among themselves, because it is clear, as I indicated yesterday, uh, that Speaker Householder could no longer uh, function as Speaker uh, with this very, very serious uh, ch charges um, from the U.S. Attorney's Office and from the FBI. Uh, so the people's business must be done. And so I'd urge my, my friends in the legislature to uh, very vigorously uh, look at that uh, and try to move as quickly as they can. I want to also talk about nuclear energy policy in, in Ohio. Um, as I stated yesterday, reasonable people uh, can disagree about what that policy should be. Uh, I made it very clear, uh, I've made it very clear uh, for a long time uh, that I think our energy policy in the state of Ohio must include nuclear energy. Um, that the plants that are here that are functioning should continue to function. Uh, we have a lot of jobs, 1,500 I think, jobs at stake. Uh, but we also have uh, what's really also at stake is the ability of Ohio uh, to maintain much uh, uh, carbon-free energy and uh, cleaner energy. Uh, so I think the policy is, is, is clear uh, to me, although I know that uh, you know, reasonable people can certainly disagree uh, about that. However, it is also clear uh, as I think about this 
that no matter how good this policy is, the process, the process by which this bill was passed is simply not acceptable. Um, that process, I believe, has forever tainted uh, the bill and now the law itself. Uh, this policy, while the policy, in my opinion, is good, uh, the process by which it was created uh, stinks. It's terrible. Uh, it's not acceptable. Therefore, I believe the policy, uh, this whole policy issue, must be revisited by the General Assembly. Uh, I ask the legislature to repeal uh, and replace House Bill 6 through a process, an open, process that the public can have full confidence in. I believe that's important that these two go hand in hand so that the nuclear power plants can be preserved, those jobs can be, be preserved, the environmental benefits can be maintained. But the most important thing is that the public have confidence in the process. Um, and it will f forever be impossible. Um, for the public to have confidence uh, in that policy, in those what's happened, what we've passed, what the legislature passed, voted on, without uh, revisiting it. Uh, and so I asked the legislature to revisit this. Uh, my preference certainly would be to revisit it, go through that normal process, and come back with an alternative. Um, but this, again, is something that needs to happen in the open and it needs to happen uh, fairly quickly. Up next on Columbus Perspective, Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose in just a couple of minutes. Pass it on. Now's the time to stay apart, social distancing. But I'm adding something else, pull together. What's pulling together while we're staying apart? It's calling family to check in on them. It's waving to your neighbor. It's the things we should have been doing all along. And when this tragedy passes and we're able to come together, we'll be stronger than ever because we've already pulled together. Stay apart. Pull together. Pass it on. From PassItOn.com. We are advocates. We are defenders. We are champions. And friends. We are the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. 230 accredited members employing thousands. All dedicated to the care and conservation of Earth's precious wildlife. Sea turtles. African penguins. California condors. Cheetahs. And countless endangered species that are close to extinction. See for yourself at aza.org slash join us. Or at an AZA accredited zoo and aquarium today. If you're worried your friend may be struggling, remember, you don't have to be there to be there. You could say how while you will get a fake tattoo. You could ask with an app if it works for you. You could write him a text or knit him a sweater. If you can't be together, you could write him a letter. Whatever, whatever, whatever gets you talking. Chat on the game, kick off your flip-flops. You can ask on your couch while you binge watch. However you do it, you gotta ask a friend. And if they don't share, you can ask again. Whatever, whatever, whatever gets you talking. Whatever, whatever, whatever gets you talking. Reach out to a friend about their mental health. Learn how you can help at SeizeTheAwkward.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and the Jed Foundation.
Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV. Here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Here's Tracy. The coronavirus continues to spread throughout Ohio. Cases climbing by more than 1,000 a day. That means more and more counties are now at level three on the risk scale of the state's public health advisory system. And a mask mandate is in effect. COVID-19 is changing a few elements of how we are going to vote in the November election. There's a big push to do mail-in voting to avoid crowds and lines at any of the thousands of polling locations in our state. As you might expect, there are security concerns, too. The Ready for November task force took up the issue. Task force members discussed options, including the addition of artificial intelligence to strengthen cybersecurity and even having cybersecurity experts on call in the event something does happen. Ohio Secretary of State Frank LaRose leads that task force. I had the opportunity to talk with him this week about security, voter participation and planning in a pandemic. We did that over Zoom. Secretary LaRose reiterated that Ohioans have three options for voting, including four weeks of early voting at the Board of Elections or an early voting site with evening, weekend hours and Sunday voting. There will be in-person voting on November 3rd. The Secretary of State says his office and staff is ahead of the curve in working to ensure there are enough poll workers to open and work Ohio's 4,000 polling locations. Ohioans are also being encouraged by voting rights and community groups to vote from home. Voting from home is safe and secure in Ohio. In many ways, Ohio is a leader in the nation. We set the standard that other states should follow. We maintain accurate lists. We uh, require voters to identify themselves and and their signature has to match. And so uh, I know there's been a robust conversation about how secure is voting by mail. I'm here to tell you that in Ohio, voting by mail is secure. It's trustworthy. Both Republicans and Democrats have trusted the process for close to 20 years in, in our state. Remember, the deadline to request an absentee ballot is three days before the election. You can submit your application for it at any time. There is a push to hire poll workers, and you can be hired if you're a U.S. citizen, at least 18 years old and registered to vote, or 17 years old and a senior in high school. You must also be a resident of the county in which you plan to serve, and you cannot be running as a candidate for the election in which you are working and have not been convicted of a felony.
Head to 10tv.com slash featured links to get more information on the application process. Again, to be a poll worker. LaRose says that he's partnering with more than 30 craft breweries across the state to raise a glass to democracy. This is a statewide voter registration campaign. You'll find voter information on beer cans. You should be able to get these cans in early September, right through the month of October. The Ohio Department of Job and Family Services came out with the jobless claims for the week of July 5th. The unemployment report shows there was a slight jump in unemployment. The state went from over 33,000 the week of June 28th to 35,000 at the beginning of this month. The total number of initial jobless claims over the last 17 weeks is more than the total over the past three years. Director Kimberly Hall explained the department's most recent findings. We're always concerned around increased unemployment numbers. That's not the direction that we want to go. We do have some just some fluctuations that are, uh, well, it's not really a natural world right now, but kind of naturally occurring as uh, employers try to figure out the best way to navigate and, and manage with their workforce. So you have some that uh, brought employees back on, maybe experiencing some additional challenges, and so elected to furlough. Uh, you have other individuals who may have waited to, to actually file for benefits. So we're not seeing an overall uh, kind of very a concerning peak statistically in the number of initial claims, but we are keeping our eye on that. And really, just as a reminder for you, the pandemic unemployment compensation funding from the CARES Act is scheduled to expire July 25th. Without congressional authorization to extend it, those extra $600 weekly payments will come to an end. Ohio House Democrats announced schools are getting some big help for the fall. The party says $300 million will be used to help colleges, universities, and K-12 schools get ready for the fall semester during the pandemic. The control the ruling board Monday approved the use of federal CARES Act funding. The plan is also set to help health care agencies in Ohio, as well as public safety and the Department of Natural Resources. House Minority Leader Amelia Sykes commented on the funding, saying state and federal lawmakers need to continue working to make sure our school districts have the resources they need to protect students and staff, all while ensuring an enriching learning environment. Reimagining the Columbus Police Force. Coming up, we talk with City Council President Shannon Harden about what he thinks that looks like. Since the start of the year, nearly 70 people have been killed in the city. And it's especially troubling because more young people are the victims. 10TV's Bryant Somerville shows us why some say the solution is others coming to the table. Insanity, because, you know, in, in the definition of insanity is trying to do the same thing and expecting a different result. Ephraim Lately believes the city's response to gun violence is not working. It's not enough to do your best. First, you must know what to do and then do your best. And I feel like Columbus is trying to do its best, but it doesn't know what to do. He's part owner of Elite Boxing, a gym that takes in at-risk youth and works with them to stay on the right path. Sean Stevenson is another part owner. understand what goes on in our community, in our city. There's lives being lost. Somebody's going to be held accountable. They say tax dollars need to stop being wasted on old ideas. The amount of violence and bloodshed we saw this weekend is unacceptable and must stop. 
Ned Pettis is the Columbus Public Safety Director. He and other city leaders, including Mayor Andrew Ginther and Police Chief Tom Quinlan, addressed concerns after a violent weekend. Families are hurting. Communities are hurting. We are hurting. Eight shootings this weekend. Ten people shot. Three people are dead. All under the age of 26. Ginther talked about his neighborhood safety strategy, safe streets program, and care coalition. He says public enemy number one, illegal guns, saying the city needs stronger gun laws. And if state and federal officials will not take action, at least get out of our way so that we can do what we know will make our families and neighborhoods safer. Since the beginning of June, five teenagers have died by gun violence, ranging in ages from 14 to 17 years old. As a community, we should be more outraged. We should see the outrage. Chief Quinlan says even though steps are being taken, like working with the Violent Crimes Review Group to implement youth services to better connect with young people and create relationships to help prevent more crime, more people need to get involved. Is We have to put credible messengers, people who have uh, experience and influence in the community, to work. Laidley says without the right people stepping up, Columbus will be stuck in a never-ending cycle. Meetings and more commissions don't save lives. Actions save lives with the right people, with the right tactics and the right strategy. In Columbus, Bryant Somerville, 10 TV News. Columbus City Council members say they are working to reimagine public safety. I asked what that means to people who live and work here. Council President Shannon Harden told me it's a process that requires hearing from many voices and stakeholders about what will keep each and every one of us safe whenever there's a need to call police for help. When I reimagine public safety, I think about my, uh, you know, if I have an 85 year old neighbor who has dementia, do, and I see her uh, maybe having a fight with a relative. Do we need a call, when we call 911, do we need a police officer with a, a gun and a badge to show up? Or maybe a mental health specialist and some a social worker who knows how to de-escalate uh, family instances. Council President Hardin told me the demonstrations and protests against systemic racism and police brutality throughout the nation and here at home in Columbus were a call for real change and a chance to ask if police officers are being asked to do too much. We've asked them to solve our poverty issues. We've asked them to solve our homelessness issues. We've asked them to be on the front line of uh, the opioid uh, issues. Uh, we asked them to, to solve the mental health issues. Then we strap a uh, camera on them uh, and then critique every move they make uh, when, when they're dealing with some of our community's harshest issues. Proposed public safety legislation comes out of 20 hours of hearings in the last three weeks with the input of thousands of Columbus residents. The public safety reimagined legislation would ban no-knock warrants, reallocate police funding by moving toward tools for safety versus military-style equipment, and add a check of hate group affiliation to police background checks. I think that that is one of the easier conversations in terms of we can all agree that we don't want um, hate group affiliated police officers uh, in our police division. The Capitol Square Review Board held a meeting about statue removals. The executive director of the board says it would be a tough task to get the Christopher Columbus statue taken down at the State House. If the proposal is given preliminary approval, 
the applicant may submit the proposal to the board for final approval after a period of five years. The final proposal must include uh, the original proposal, proof of funding to cover the removal costs, and any updated information that's relevant for the board's criteria for consideration. If the board does not approve a proposal at either the preliminary or final review, the proposal may not be resubmitted for review until at least one year has passed. The Christopher Columbus statue at the State House is the last statue like it standing in the city. The statue's outside City Hall and on the Columbus State campus were taken down in the past few weeks following protests. Every week, we take 10 minutes to talk one-on-one -on -one with decision makers in our community. Next, a preview of our conversation with the director of Transit Arts Youth Arts Program. In times of fear, World Vision has been there for the most vulnerable. For the last 70 years, we've stood with kids and families during some of the world's hardest times. Through natural disasters, war, and disease, delivering life-saving aid and support, helping rebuild lives, and empowering entire communities to lift themselves out of poverty. And we're doing the same today. Because rising to these challenges is in our DNA. And with every act of courage, faith, and love, at home and abroad, we do more than just stop the spread of fear. We replace it with hope. Learn more at worldvision.org. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Every week, 10TV takes 10 minutes to talk one-on-one -on -one with the decision makers in our community. Molly Brewer talked with Jackie Calderon, director of Transit Arts Youth Arts Program. It's a program of Central Community House. They talked about our current issues and how they may be hurting Columbus youth. You mentioned something like, like redlining, but like, you know, I, when, you know, growing up, I was taught about redlining through um, like Chicago history. Like if you were taught about something like redlining in your history book, it might've been, Oh, like take a look at Chicago. Um, but is that something that you've seen here in Columbus? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just look at our freeway system. How interesting, right? Look at what happened to the near East side and how it was completely cut off. Um, and you, you're right. You know, I remember seeing that so very vividly in Chicago, but a lot of us didn't learn about that. You know, it was so easy to just pass by on the freeway and never understand what was going on. And it just devastated our community. And it's, and now with the uh, gentrification, a lot of the families that we serve through our program have been moved out to the outlying areas, to suburban areas and to rural areas even. So that's even decreased their access even more. So we've had kids that would come to our hip hop dance class every week and our art class and come to the studios. And then they got moved out to Canal Winchester, which is only a 20 minute drive, right? If you're taking a bus, that's an hour trip just to get to a 45 minute or a 90 minute class and then another hour trip home. That's crazy. So it's um, the housing crisis is huge. 
I mean, look at the rental rates in Columbus. And we have families who are on the waiting list for subsidized housing, and they're being sent out to Fairfield County because they can't get housing in Columbus. So just imagine, you know, when you're already dealing with all these issues, and then you can't even have your neighborhood support that you've always relied on, and you get out into this isolated area. It's... uh, complicated and I don't mean to sound so so down about it but I think it's it really is a huge crisis and and we have to take it seriously you can watch take 10 at 10 tv.com slash take 10 and you can also see it on our 10 tv app Senator Rob Portman was in Grove City to lend a hand. He joined the Ohio National Guard to distribute food at the Mid-Ohio Food Collective. He also met with organizational leaders to talk about his support of the Family First Coronavirus Response Act and the CARES Act. Those pieces of legislation provided funding for nutrition programs, including the Mid-Ohio Food Collective. Mid-Ohio Food Bank alone covers 20 counties. You think about that. So it's not just Columbus. This is a lot of rural counties uh, that uh, people are driving in to to get help. You know, this is a tough time. Our economy is hurting right now. A lot of people are looking for help to be able to fill some gaps. And, And that's why this is so important. We would like to leave you with a note of promise when it comes to conquering COVID-19. Researchers at the Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center are starting a new clinical trial for patients with mild to moderate symptoms who have not been hospitalized. The study is to find out how effective one medication is in helping the body fight back. The doctor leading the study says it has been shown to be effective neutralizing that SARS-CoV-2. The hope is that the medicine will prevent the disease from progressing in patients preventing them from being hospitalized and also reducing the transmission of COVID-19. Here now is a closer look at how this works. First, we give you a quick explanation of antibodies. They are naturally made in our bodies to fight infection. They block the virus from infecting the cell. This medication uses monoclonal antibodies. Those are developed in a lab. They are FDA approved to treat cancers and autoimmune diseases. They're administered through a vein or an injection. Medical experts do have to monitor common side effects, including allergic reactions, nausea and vomiting, and low blood pressure. But some promising news there. We do thank you for being with us here today. Remember, if it affects you, your family, and Ohio, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and whatever, just don't text and drive. Visit stoptextsstoprex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Susan Weinstock, who's Vice President of Financial Resilience for AARP. How are you? Hi, good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, Tell me, I think everybody is familiar with AARP, but uh, I'll give you a moment just to tell us in a nutshell what it is. Uh, 
we are a membership organization of 38 million older Americans, age 50 and older. Okay, you're talking about an age group that has been significantly impacted by the coronavirus. Absolutely. Uh, well, everybody's been significantly impacted by the, for the, uh, by the coronavirus, obviously. Um, but the, the 50 and older, uh, one of the things that we are very concerned about is older workers and how they are faring in, the, in these times. Because we know uh, from the Great Recession research that we did, once an older worker loses their job, uh, it takes them twice as long to find a new job. And even when they do find that new job, they, never, they rarely make the same pay that they made from the old job. So it's really important that, you know, to, to look at older workers as, and see how they fare and help them uh, in, this, in this difficult time. We've heard a lot about uh, the service industry, restaurant workers and people like that that have lost their jobs. Have uh, older, long-held career positions also been impacted greatly? Well, we know, uh, we did a survey and found that uh, for older workers age 50 and older, 30% said they've lost income due to workplace closures or reduced hours. So that's a third of older workers. That's uh, a, a, a really devastating number. And it comes at a really scary time for them. Right, because uh, they're in the midst of getting ready to prepare for uh, retirement, uh, potentially, if they want to, or if they wanted to continue to work, try, as I said, getting back into that job market can be really, really difficult. Kind of uh, deja vu from about 12 years ago. Right, exactly. And there are some people that we understand are still, you know, continuing to work as older, much older workers because they have yet to recover from that Great Recession. So it's, it's a devastating loss for so many people to, to try to uh, keep that income, keep uh, saving for retirement, get ready for retirement if and when they want to, or to continue to work. For so many people, the work, work is their identity. It's their meaning in life. They really enjoy working. And to lose their job is, is really, really hard on them. So what is AARP telling folks? Well, we have a, a job board. Uh, it's at aarp.org slash jobs. We also have a web page devoted to people who have lost income or lost their job. Uh, go to aarp.org slash job loss. Um, but if you have lost your job, maybe this is a time to look at trying to take a course online. Uh, there's lots of free courses out there. Um, look at a community college course. Those are very affordable, often free for uh, depending on your age. Um, and learn something new, something that you can add to your resume that you can um, build on, on skills that you have. That's a, it's a great time to be doing that if you, if you have the time and you are laid off. Talking with Susan Weinstock, VP of Financial Resilience for AARP. Folks who are, I guess, late 50s into their 60s, it's the scary time because maybe they were uh, planning to retire at 62, but they may not be able to make it to that if they lose their job. Or maybe they wanted to work beyond that. You've got health care costs uh, factoring into the whole thing, too. That's right. Uh, there's so many, so many different uh dependencies that you have based on your being uh, in the workforce. And so being able to continue to earn that, that salary to have those health benefits are, are really important. So uh, keeping that job, retaining that job. Uh, so stay current on issues in your field. Make sure that you, you, you know the latest uh, so that when you go in and talk to people and, and continue to network. I know it's harder to network over, you know, Zoom and, and all of, of the different platforms, but it's really important to keep your, keep your network going, you know, to look, go, go on LinkedIn and, and look at people who know people and try to connect up 
so that you can keep your network going, building that network, even though you, you may be stuck at home and, and, and looking to, to build that, that network is so important. Have all the uh, delivery jobs with grocers and Amazon and all that kind of stuff opened new opportunities, or are older Americans tending to stay away from those jobs? We don't have specific data on uh, how many older Americans have those jobs. We do know that um, Airbnb, uh, that, that was a, a significant um, a significant number of the hosts on Airbnb are, are older folks. Uh, so it, it really depends on what you're feeling you're comfortable doing as a, for your own health. You know, you might want to consult your physician about what makes sense as far as taking on jobs like that. This might be a little uh, straying off the course here, but I've been thinking about how seniors, uh, those uh, who are already retired even, may be looking at higher fixed costs down the line as cities and states adjust tax rates maybe uh, close some exemptions that seniors might have been under before to try to make up revenue lost during this time. Yeah, it's hard to, you know, th- there's, this is all so very new. We just, we've never lived through this before, right? So how this is all going to play out and how it's going to impact younger and older workers, uh, it's really hard to say and how uh, we're going to continue to fund uh, really important needed services is, 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 is really a big question at this point. But obviously I think right now the thing that we're really thinking about is extending those unemployment benefits to make sure that people are covered throughout this crisis so that, you know, people have food and and they have uh, a roof over their heads. Very important just to have the basics. And this might also come at a time when older Americans who are still working might have older, you know, their parents living with them or grandkids living with them. We hear a lot about that because of the opioid crisis. Just a a lot of uh, unusual dynamics going on. have a huge impact on employment. And we want to support our working caregivers, and we've encouraged employers to support their working caregivers because this has all, again, raised all of these 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 issues in in in, and even magnified it. So it's really important that um, you know if if an employer uh, is allowing their employee to work from home and the employee feels like they have somebody at home that they're worried about, that they go out and about, they're going to put that person's health at risk. Why not leave them to let let them work from home? There's no reason not to. If an older worker does, uh, let's say they've been trying to, to sock away money for retirement, but they're, they're not where they want to be yet, and they do lose their job, what are their top priorities right out of the gate on something like that? Well, obviously, the top, I mean, the top priority is keeping food on the table and the roof over their head. No question about it. Um, best not to tap that, uh, re- that in retirement income if you don't have to, but if that's the last option, then that's the last option. We've long said we, you know, it's very important for people to have emergency savings three to six months of your salary in an emergency that you can tap into for just a crisis like this so that you can get through this time uh, without without too much damage to your long-term financial health. Okay, and obviously they've got an eye also, if they're lucky enough to have a 401k, they're keeping an eye on that. It's recovered in recent months, but who knows what's going to happen there. For sure. And, you know, if you're not, if you're working from home right now and you're not paying for commuting and parking and metro or, or all those sort of things, take that money and put it into your retirement account. Why not? Why not build that retirement account while you have a little extra cash um, because you're not spending that money on commuting? Um, this is a great way to just beef up that retirement account a little bit if, if you have the opportunity. Just a moment or so to go with Susan Weinstock with AARP. Are you finding more older working Americans are tending to save uh, cash more than they used to because of the times? We haven't done any research 
research on that. You know, we've long said, you know, you need to put your money in places that are safe. Beware of frauds and scams. Uh, on the employment side, if you're looking at jobs and they want you to send in money for a job, no, don't do it. It's a scam. Um, so be very careful about fraud. Um, we have a fraud watch network where uh, people report fraud, and we're very concerned about that sort of thing. Okay, and Susan, again, if folks want more information, where do they find it online? Uh, AARP.org slash job loss. Okay, Susan Weinstock, VP of Financial Resilience for AARP. Thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Have a great day. This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM. That's 1460 ESPN Columbus. And Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.